2: That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
0: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
1: The Irish Times Business Podcast in association
3: with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish life. We are. Irish Life. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Irish Times Inside Business podcast with me, Cliff Taylor, standing in for Kieran Hancock. If you'd like to support this podcast, you might like to tell your friends and colleagues that Inside Business is free to download from iTunes. You'll also find us on irishtimes.com, on SoundCloud and Stitcher. If you'd like to have your say on the issues we cover, you can email businesspodcast at irishtimes.com. Now, later on this week's show, I'll be talking to Irish Times business journalist Fiona Redden about some of the ideas being mooted by the Department of Finance's Tax Strategy Group, including the prospect of abolishing relief on family homes from capital gains tax when they are sold. But first, I'm joined by the President of the Irish Exporters Association, Nicola Byrne, and by Martina Lawless, Associate Research Professor at the ESRI, to talk about Brexit, the border, and its impact on the export sector. You're both very welcome. I'll start with you, Nicola. Brexit is coming in a year and a half's time. We're still not quite sure what it's going to mean. What's the mood of the export sector? Are people worried or are they just getting on with business or how are they reacting?
2: Well, in true Irish fashion, we've got down to work and we've Mm. actually started doing live things on the ground. Uh, I was explaining to Martina as we walked in that one of the things that's already in place is revenue and the Irish exporters have got together and we're re-educating what the documentation might look like if a hard Brexit went ahead and happened. Okay, so there's going to be so, customs so duties and there's tariffs. Back to and sad documents. We're, not, we're not used to these. But, well, we just have none of it because hmm. everything's been moving so seamlessly across borders. Yeah. So now we're going to go back, and we're actually people are now coming en masse to these courses within the Irish exporters, and they're actually taking the time to learn what might happen. Now, mm. they may never use these documents, mm. but we're learning about if you're exporting now to the US, what, what do you currently do? Mm. And that may just apply to Brexit as well. Okay. Um, so real things are happening on the ground. And revenue, And um, it's a testament to how practical we are. It's not chat. It's actual work. There's actual workshops for hours of time. People are committing hours of resources away from their jobs to get this right. And that's just one example. There is okay. a multitude of practical things that are going on at the moment.
3: What kind of companies are participating in those courses? What what kind of companies are engaged in this?
2: Everything. It's, it's across every sector, from pharma to uh, food uh, down to services. Um, because we don't know how, you know, it's all going to be reported. We don't know what way services are going to be recorded. Mm. We just don't know. So revenue are sitting down and saying, well, look, we've got practical things we need to know. Mm. And, you know, we're going to have to get this documentation up to speed. So it's it's got a big impact. But... In defence of of the Irish exporters and the work that's been done, mm. a huge amount has already been taking place in a practical way. It's not just we don't know. We've written the policy document and we're going to sit on the policy document and we've covered sure. it off. Real things are actually having to be done.
3: Is it difficult for companies to commit the time to that? No. Okay, okay, for big companies maybe, but for the smaller the SMEs.
2: No, because I think preparation is going to be ninety nine percent of the uh, mm. hard work that's going to be needed when the time comes. The problem at the moment for Irish exporters is at the moment the British are talking to themselves yeah. um, and I've been a phenomenal amount in the UK in the last month. I probably think in the last 30 days I've probably been 20-odd in the UK and I'm fascinated that they don't have a plan, they don't know what they're doing and they're having conversations on their own without realising there's actually somebody in, at the end of the tennis court that they're hitting a ball to yeah. and they're not reacting. So we've been very practical, um, we have been very realistic and we've been very reassured by the fact that Irish people realise this is a threat and it's not a game Mm. Um, and it's not just a talk shop that happens at a high level. Mm. We are a very small island with a very small amount of people and we actually know what it's like to nudge each other and get down to work. In the UK, there's 70 million of them. They haven't got that kind of network of people mm. and facilities to have those conversations. Um, so they're just ignoring it. It's like it's somebody else's problem. The politicians will deal with it. Okay. Here, we've actually taken real steps to take the civil service and the private sector and put them together and go, this is a team effort. We're all on board.
3: And hopefully that that will provide some protection if the worst, do, if the worst does happen. Mar- Martina, you've done a lot of work in the SRI about the sectors that are exposed, uh, if there is a hard Brexit or if uh, new tariffs under WTO rules do come in. Maybe just give us a a quick summary of what what you found.
1: Yes, so the most important thing on the tariffs and the different barriers is that there really is a very wide variation in how they would apply across different sectors. So we initially did some sort of high-level work on how the overall economy would be affected. And we came up with estimates of something in the order of a 4% fall in exports and a 4% fall in Irish GDP in association with that. But then drilling down across sectors, you see that the WTO sort of like baseline scenario um, of the kind of, you know, if there's no deal, what's the default? The default is these tariffs that the EU already applies to non-EU members. Okay. So this is kind of the you know, maybe the extreme end of what the tariffs could be. But they range from 0% on pharmaceutical products up to above 80% on various beef products. So there's huge heterogeneity Mm. in how exposed different sectors are. In general, what you find is that the food sectors are the most exposed, both because there's a potential for the highest tariffs, but also because they tend to be the most reliant on the UK Mm. as an export market. So one of the things we've looked at um, in a separate piece of work is digging down into who exports to the UK, and you know, overall Ireland sends about thirteen percent of its exports to the UK. But if you look at Irish-owned firms, so the the more SME sector, about half of their exports goes to the, the UK. Mm-hmm. So there's variation across sectors and there's also a lot of variation across different types of firms, with the smaller Irish-owned firms obviously kind of being much more exposed than the multinational sector.
3: So when you say tariffs of 50, 60, 70, up to 80 percent that is potentially an increase in the price of the product on on of an Irish product in the UK market so for at the higher level of tariff it could it could put somebody out of the market completely
1: that could put somebody out of the market completely now that's very much you know this is the the scenario in the case, case, case where this is the, this sure. is very much a worst case scenario um so nicola mentioned um paperwork and actually that's maybe in the at the end of the day you know if everybody comes together and does a trade deal and kind of reduces the tariffs and gets something kind of like fairly smooth working, what could almost be more important for firms is the sudden imposition of a lot of documentation mm. and a lot of time and effort and perhaps delays. And again, that's something that could be fall disproportionately on the smaller firms. Mm. You know, these documents, these sad documents, the single administrative document, which People piece of terminology people oh, I realise. I thought you were, yes, yeah. okay. Oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, no they're no, not just sad. <laughs> there's sad probably people, senses, a piece of yes. terminology that's new to people but they will become come familiar, uh, <laughs> perhaps you know, appropriately named. Um, those documents have to be filled out for every consignment that you export. So if okay. you're a small exporter selling, you know, you know, d- you know, one kind of half load, that document has to be filled in just the same as somebody selling kind of like entire, you know, container loads on the ship so the kind of the, t- the time and effort is a bit disproportionate because the same documentation has to be filled in no matter how much the load is worth
3: Okay so these are documents that have to be filled in to meet cu- to meet customs rules because you're effectively exporting yeah. outside the EU once yeah. Britain leaves
1: Yeah and also if, if you're importing so a lot of Irish companies might import their sort of intermediate inputs okay. from from the UK so, so
3: there's two separate issues I guess one is the the risk of tariffs special import taxes which are going to incros- increase prices Yeah uh, and the other then is this documentation. Just talk to us a bit about the sectors that are most exposed. I was interested reading your uh, your, pa- your recent paper that the Irish beef sector, for example, looks like it might face a particular threat. and Likewise, the dairy sector in Northern Ireland also looks to be quite exposed.
1: You, both of those are sectors with particularly high tariffs. Mm. The EU tariff schedule seems to be very much established on pretty free trade on manufactured products, mm. but then quite protective of I guess that the farming and the food industries. So there's a really large disconnect between reasonably low tariffs—tariffs tariffs of average maybe five percent on manufactured goods on mm. most sectors—and then food and agri-food processors um, facing tariffs of, of multiple times that. Mm. So the really heavy impact is on the the food sector. Um, and that applies in both directions. So for Northern Ireland, a, enormous proportion, in the order of 13, 14% of their exports to the south are, from, are in milk. And a lot of that gets processed here. Mm. So that's a that's a particular risk. Um, an alternative risk, of course, is that the UK decides they don't want any tariffs at all. They mm. unilaterally cut all their you know, free, free trade with everybody. Mm. Um, but that's also actually a problem for Irish manufacturers because if they reduce tariffs across the board, then they're also reducing the tariffs on Mm. competitors from, say, Brazil, the US, New Zealand. Um, So this competitive environment in the UK still changes. Unless there's a specific... coming in and competing with Irish beef or whatever.
2: Their exports in lamb, 82% of their lamb or something huge is exported Mm. um, and that'd be a 30% tariff on that. So Mm. they'd have no exports. So works both ways
1: sure. Um, but that's why a a sort of a bilateral deal between the EU and the UK is that the kind of ideal outcome because the UK just slashing tariffs to zero for the world still changes the competitive environment for Irish firms in the UK
3: Nicola, are you seeing your members kind of shifting investment and, and are holding off an investment? Uh, we've seen, for example, some companies are setting up subsidiaries in the UK to provide a safeguard after Brexit.
2: We, we see a lot more inquiries of people looking to set up a base in the UK. Right, um, That is definitely on the rise. There's a lot more queries uh, and there's a lot more people just actively doing it because bear in mind, we've probably got loads of relatives and friends and direct contacts. Like It is like sure. another parish for us. You know, London is our is the busiest route in Europe and sure. uh, between Dublin. So uh, people are definitely talking. People are having conversations. People are trying to put people on the ground. They're trying to put feet. But, you know, th- this madness saying that we just go set up in a new market. Mm. You, nobody just sets up in a new market. It takes years of work and building yeah. relationships. And, you know, it takes probably two to three years to get a foothold in a different market. Okay. But there's definitely customers. And there is a market of 70 million people over there. So... It is prudent to be looking to set in the market, but the bigger businesses already are completely covered. It's the small Irish exports, but they're only 12% of sure. total exports out of, uh, out of the country. So 81% of our exports are by foreign direct investments. Okay. So we're having conversations, and they're really complex. So 81% of our exports is FDI companies. Mm. They're well-equipped for Brexit. Mm. They, they can move operations. They can move money. They can move. A lot, they have lots of choices, financial or otherwise. Um Homegrown SMEs, which we are trying to increase, they may suffer. And hauliers. Um, We don't know what flow of goods are because at the moment we land bridge across the UK. We don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, Alternative routes, shipping, you know, ports like Ross Cork, maybe a new port is needed, an investment from Mm. Dundalk. Nobody knows.
3: Um, But all those options
2: have to be looked at. So
3: a lot of goods go through, from Ireland, through Britain, across to continental Europe. And and we just don't know whether they may be held up at customs points or or we whatever don't. after Brexit.
2: We have no idea. And we have no idea if there'll be a tax on them going through with their items or mm. not a tax. So if they zero rate some things and not others it it's mm. really complex and small business will always hurt a lot more than big business. But chickens from Northern Ireland like most of our chickens in Ireland are probably consumed from Northern Ireland. Sure. It's a it, it's an industry that could die overnight. We could genuinely find food shortages mm. um not because we've done anything to impose them but because Some politician or some civil servant didn't see a knock-on repercussion and Mm. something gets caught in the crossfire. Because if they had a plan and had gone to the table with the plan, we wouldn't be having these conversations. But in the absence of a plan or even an idea of what Mm. the end game looks like, they don't know themselves.
3: And obviously a lot of milk imported from the north into the republic as well. And I presume a lot of it coming from farms in 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 the republic initially.
1: Yes, I think there, there's a lot of two-way trade. There's mm. been, you know, over, over the last 10 or 15 years, markets you know, globally have become much more integrated. Supply mm. chains have been much more integrated. Um, obviously, Ireland, North and South are a particular example of that where there's lots of anecdotes about goods passing two or three mm. times across the border for different stages of processing. And yeah. it, it's really become that it's just a single market. It's no different to send mm. your raw material up to... Belfast and then get it back to feed into the next stage of the process than it is to send it you know, between but, but Cork and Kerry. But if there's then sort of delays and documentation, there could be a real disruption mm. depending on kind of how suddenly that transition happens and of course for and the at the f- moment f- that's very mm-hmm. unknown so it,
3: it's for the food it, sector you have the specific safety requirements as well yeah. that that I presume well, that, will add to complications yeah. yeah if they
2: drop their food standards so if they're talking mm. to Brazil and Argentina and even mm. like the chlorine watching the chickens mm. story that has just broken out everywhere um, if they drop their standards it's going to get complicated for us because mm. we won't be able to trust the food source so there'll be a lot more resources from our side to test whether mm. those goods are fit to come in for EU mm. consumption mm. but the other point about northern ireland is their biggest export is scrap metal. Mm. So Northern Ireland depends on a very small of its economy for exports. It just doesn't export. I think Dimplex is its biggest employer mm. and one of its main exporters. And after that, it just drizzles out. Like there's, mm. you know, people are, are getting very emotional about very small quantities of trade, but it's food and it's farmers and it's always going to end up in a conversation. Mm. Our biggest, our, our services exports are bigger than all our food and our food processing exports, all mm. our beef, everything. Mm. And yet, we don't hear anyone screaming about it. So food is emotional. It employs a lot of people in certain areas. And politically, we're going to spend an awful lot of time having to handhold it, which is right. We need to protect the jobs. We need to protect the rural people that that are dependent on these functions and these Mm. services to keep their community alive. But for Ireland Inc., Mm. exports are much more complex And they're changing daily. In Mm. fact, our future is most likely going to be in the service industry. And Martina and myself, again, we're discussing it's hard to count Mm. what those services, you know, we can't measure them like we can count a chicken crossing the border. Mm. We can't measure, you know, a piece of consultancy I do for you in London. It's just, it becomes really tricky. So our export figures are going to get more and more difficult to measure. Mm. But what's just important to bear in mind, the percentages, you know, Mm. exports between Ireland and Northern Ireland, in real expert terms, is tiny compared to what we're exporting from FDI companies out. And while it's important, the big game is making sure our FDI is protected, that if we are land bridging foreign direct investment across the UK, Mm. it gets nurtured and we Mm. build other routes into Europe. There's a really big danger that Ireland could be a huge success after Brexit, Mm. that actually our food industry could thrive, that our milk producers in the south could get a bounce if the milk stops coming down from the north. There is a huge amount Mm. um, that could happen in the right direction. There's also a lot of negatives, but as a country, I think we're ready for it. And I think the positives are services are where it's all going to grow. And we will start Ireland. The barriers to entry to get into a you know a large multinational is huge. The barrier to entry to get into a services business is a lot lower. Yeah. And our exports are going to become a lot more invisible. And we won't understand what we're trading because the world has become that complex. And the more bankers that come here, the more trade that's going to happen
1: in that financial services sector. Sure. And it's invisible.
3: Sure. Martina uh, be a bit more
1: cautious okay. on that the impact there. I think there are some potential positives from Brexit in terms of opportunities for some Irish businesses, mm. particularly for the multinationals. I think even if those kind of balance out on the level of the overall economy, though, there are kind of serious distributional concerns in the sense that okay. the agri-food sector is more employment intensive. It is more dispersed across okay. the country, whereas the, the positives you could see perhaps attribute in kind of urban areas, you know, maybe it's Dublin financial sector, maybe some farm, Panisse and Cork, whereas, you know, the people getting the negative hit are spread across the country, and so perhaps disproportionately in maybe border counties and so on, mm. where there'll be the added potential disruption of the border. So you might find the numbers kind of come out pretty even at the mm. level of sort of GDP or, or trade stats, mm. but there's still a lot yeah, of unevenness lot of in in the winners and losers, and a, and a lot of pain there. On the just to to link back to something on the the issue of the border and the extent of customs checks, the difference in standards. And if there's a move to the UK Mm. to lower kind of the standards on which they import food from other countries, there is a kind of a very real, I think, scenario where even if there are almost effectively no tariffs on trade north and south, that there will actually be a need for customs checks at the border Mm. in order to impose standards and check where these products are actually coming from and that they reach... You know EU kind of EU standards, and it's not being used as a backdoor mm. to the the Europe. This will be the European border, not just the Irish border. Yes. Yeah, um, and it can't be used as a backdoor for but lower quality imports from third countries to to kind of but, avoid but the but tariffs I mean, or avoid the European
2: standards. Haven't well, haven't just done Lair Pembroke actually two days ago and I have been on Irish ferries more times this year than I care to remember because I've got very brave taking my car across and deciding to tour around the UK to see what's really going on. And having spent time in Bakewell and Gloucestershire and going to cattle and other places, technology is going to solve a lot of the customs issues. We're not going to have to pull in every single solitary truck. When they come off, you know, we're an island, and they they are they know exactly, I mean, you're you're photographed as you drive all the way Uh, into Pembroke you're photographed every inch of the way there's UK customs there's sniffer dogs there's the whole um, the whole balances and checks we're already in Ireland you can track them and if trucks look like they're coming from places I mean they're literally the road network in the UK is fully cameraed up the technology's there to pull out the ones we suspect coming from farms or places or food quality and so. the normary veterinary checks and everything else there'll have to be a sharing of but information isn't it the
3: case that for example if, if food products are coming from the UK into Ireland that not only the Irish farmers will be and the Irish food industry will be potentially be up in arms with the French so farmers and the German farmers and, but and everybody it a, as well.
2: But as soon as it hits the supermarket shelf, you'll be able to track it back to exactly who took it mm. in and where it came from. Mm. There'll be no questions of, uh, you know, we'll we know exactly when that boat landed mm. with that shipment. We'll know exactly how it got into the food chain. Mm. None of our retailers are going to put it on the shelf if it doesn't meet EU standards.
3: What do you think, so, Martina, the frictionless border?
1: That's that's I, assuming I, the checks will be done, though, at basically Belfast port but, and mm. not as the, as the truck... Crosses Newry, and that's the issue. The, food, it, the checks will need to be done somewhere. somewhere. Yes, yeah. and if they're not done on food coming into Northern Ireland, then they need to be done at the border. At the border, I mean, maybe not like you know at the exact point of the mm. border, but you know there would be staging posts. There'll be kind of facilities for firms to um, I think report electronically. But there will be if there's a, a large difference in tariffs or, or in food
2: we have standards. Out-
1: there will be. You know, an the, the, there's already incentives to, to smuggle to avoid excise up. duties yeah. And, yeah, and VAT. Yeah, and there are checks on but, that. So this we, will increase that. And we, yeah. we have
2: food. We have everything moving. We've no foot and mouth. We've no mad cow disease. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we have limited everything. Mm-hmm. We've been spectacular. The food system has enough balance and checks in it to keep out lower quality imports. And I genuinely believe there's a huge process in place for safe food already moving through the country. And I don't think we'll be stopping trucks on border. I'm nearly mm-hmm. willing to bet... That no matter what happens, we are going to be a creative nation, and that we'll actually work together to not make people's lives a misery. Because it's not tra- when you hurt trade and when you hurt like security of people's minds, people feeling confident. When you hurt confidence, everything drops, and we need confidence. And I think people of north and people down south, no matter what countries we're on, we're always going to have a close working relationship. And I think in time. Uh, common sense and what's best for people, not what's best for, you know, ticking a box to keep somebody happy. Mm. And I think what's Mm. best for people is that, yes, we keep our standards up, but you'll know. I mean, you know, the Department of Agriculture are in checking food products from shelf to source. It's already there. We won't have to stop trucks to do that. Now, admittedly, there will be illegal smuggling or other things we'll Mm. try, but everybody knows where everything goes in this country. We genuinely already know that. Mm. I mean every road sign posted, every piece of technology is in place I believe we're already there I just don't think we're talking about how well we've done uh, because nobody else has done it okay. and I think we're way ahead of the posse on a lot of things loads to do but I think we're way ahead
3: OK we might have a little fiver side bet afterwards <laughs> on, I'm on, I'm on how hard the border no will be after Brexit no uh, thank you both very much for, uh, for joining us uh, on the Inside Business podcast It's time for a short break now. Coming up, I'll be talking to Irish Times business journalist Fiona Redden about some of the ideas being mooted by the Department of Finance's Tax Strategy Group. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irislifeempower.au or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life, June 2015. Welcome back. Fiona, explain first, I I guess, to give this a bit of context. We saw the Tax Strategy Group papers this week uh, looking at some of the options for the budget. What what is the Tax Strategy Group?
0: Well, Cliff, they're a group of senior civil servants and they're not just the Department of Finance. They report from across the various departments, Department of Taoiseach, um, social protection, etc., and it's just their recommendations, or they they tease out some of the possible um, things that the government might do in the budget in October.
3: Okay, so this is a, coming from the civil servants rather than the politicians, albeit informed by what's in the programme exactly. for government or whatever.
0: And just because it's in the tax strategy report doesn't mean we'll see it on
3: October tenth. Okay, nonetheless, it does give us
0: it does give a, a guide, guide, yeah.
3: Um, in terms of things that uh, are in are in the papers that we know are likely to happen or will definitely happen. Maybe run through a few of those first.
0: Yeah, well, there's a couple of things we most likely will see in October. I mean, the inheritance tax issue has kind of been very topical mm. of late and they've increased it in previous years. Us now at 310,000 for a parent to child. Right, it's so-called the Category
3: A, I think. Category
0: yeah. A, exactly. And they've mentioned that they're going to bring that up Eventually to five hundred thousand. Okay. So you could see that coming up again. So but probably not in
3: one in one jump but some increase no, again. No, exactly. This year.
0: And a subsequent increase. But yeah. interestingly, in the report they mentioned that most of the money actually they get from the tax is from category B. Right. So you could see they have flexibility with category A to increase it and not necessarily cut the tax take.
3: Okay, and what is, what is category, category B? Category
0: B is from um, a relative, you know, from your aunt or your grandparent.
3: Okay, so there's a lot of revenue comes from that because that. the reliefs aren't as... I think
0: it's 32000 you in or around is okay. the relief on that.
3: So there's a lot of legacies going to cousins or, or going to nieces and nephews or whatever.
0: That bring in a lot of bring tax Bring in income. a lot of tax,
3: okay. Yeah. So much more costly for them to cut that. Mm-hmm. What, what else are is, I suppose, in the well, likely runners of yeah, this stage? Yeah, well,
0: we saw recently, I think was it last week, Leo Radker said about the state pension. Yeah. It's currently 235 euro a week, and he committed to increasing that. So I think it went up 5 euro last year, so that's okay. another potential increase there to bring it up to 240 a week.
3: Okay, and uh, dirt, dirt there some changes yeah. Again, there as well.
0: I mean, unfortunately for people, even though it's going to go down by two percent, thirty-seven percent. If you're earning, as most people are, zero point four percent on your deposit, you know, you're not going to save that much in dirt tax. Yeah, there's so little interest being earned. The by so people little at the interest moment. being earned. Yeah. yeah. But it's Nonetheless,
3: little, with interest rates starting to go up, yeah, yeah, it could yeah, become it's Better again. to be down than up. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, landlords has been obviously the housing issue is a huge focus for yeah. the government
0: I you'd wonder and, and there with are landlords indications of changes for landlords is there a little bit of momentum has eased away in a sense because they were treated quite unfairly from a tax perspective, mm. but with rents rising so much, will there be political will to kind of rectify that we 'll have to wait and see, but one thing for sure that 's going to happen is mortgage interest relief. Um, they, it was 75% of the total interest you pay on the mortgage on a rented property okay. that could be used to offset your tax bill. It went up to 80% last year. It's going to go up to 85 in October. Okay, And... I- Eventually go back to a hundred percent.
3: And one of the things that the strategy group said, well, look, if the government wants to help landlords more, it could it it, it could accelerate that it process. It could
0: accelerate that process, yeah.
3: Or it but could make other, it could I- increase other other allowances that uh, of things that could be written off against tax for, uh, in true. relation to rental property. But
0: again, with rents, I mean, they've never been as high as they are. Yeah, you've got to remember that. So, do they want to make it too tax efficient? I don't know.
3: Possibly a group that doesn't have a lot of public <laughs> sympathy at the moment.
0: No, but on the other side, you'll see lots of landlords who are, who say they're selling up. Absolutely. Because it's too expensive
3: yeah, to make the sums work rules. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, and one other thing that has been underway is... Um, trying to equalise things between the self-employed and people on PAYE
0: that's right and they have made some progress because I mean if you you look at it the top tax rate for self-employed people was 55% Mm. compared to 52% for a PAYE worker which does seem unfair. And they've brought in this earned income credit. Mm. Um, I think it's about, it's about 950 now. They're going to try and equalise that with your PAYE credit. Okay. So that'll probably increase again this year. So
3: the PAYE credit is, is, is 1650. Uh, 1650. And over a number of years, it the plan was go to bring...
0: Up again, yeah, it might go up fully this year, but you could see a marginal increase again.
3: Yeah, I think the tax strategy group said, look, you can do this in one jump or two jumps or, or three jumps or whatever, but... We'll given it's given it's a program for government commitment, it isn't too expensive. No, no. I guess we could probably expect you it could to happen. You expect
0: to see that, yeah.
3: yeah. Obviously, then we're into the realm of speculation in terms of how people might benefit. Uh, we've seen USC cuts in the last few years. I don't think we've seen any changes in ta- income tax credits themselves since uh, 2015. Mm-hmm. Any indications of...
0: Well, I think what there has happen? been there has been some talk, isn't there, that at the higher higher earners, which they say about over a hundred thousand, mm. that they might reduce the credits there, which yeah. would increase the amount of tax they pay and could be a little earner for the government.
3: Sure, and perhaps used to reduce uh, USC and tax for 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 lower and middle earners.
0: It's true, but I mean they have taken a lot of people out of the tax net mm-hmm. in recent years by increasing the, the level at which you start to pay USC. Yeah. So. I don't know if we'll see much more movement on that side. It might be more targeted at middle earners, middle-income earners.
3: The squeeze middle, which people who get up early in the morning and all that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of this is going to cost money. Mm. Uh, And as we know, the budget sums are pretty tight. Um, Maybe the government might have 500 million or probably a bit less if the public pay deal goes through. No doubt a bit of money will be found under a mattress somewhere coming Mm. up to budget day. But either way, this is going to be tight how is the money going to be raised? Are there any indications in the strategy group papers about how the government might yeah, go about well raising it's a few more? this mob?
0: hidden fiscal space, isn't it, mm. that the Taoiseach has talked about. And um, they have proposed some measures that they could raise money. And mm. one particular one, which to me seems quite peculiar, mm. is that presently when you sell the family home, mm. whatever gain is made, you get to keep. But now they're talking about actually imposing capital gains tax on that gain, Okay. So that's thirty three percent, which would be quite unusual. And you'd imagine there'd be a lot of um if they did go ahead to try and bring in something like that. But again, it's just a suggestion. Sure. But interestingly, in the report, typically the the group will um give the downside of any measure, but they didn't give any downsides to this measure. So okay.
3: interesting. <laughs> um, civil servants aren't politicians, of course. Um. Cigarettes have been hit, hit, and hit again. And reading the report, it looks like
0: another euro. Another there, whack. yeah. It's true, and but it, they have another way they could, of course, bring in money is vaping. There's no excise on vaping, right? And which has become increasingly popular. But okay. they they didn't recommend doing that this time around.
3: Okay. And any other areas that that might be looked at to raise money?
0: Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's you can raise money or cut spending, can't you? So. There'd be lots of areas that might be a target for that as well.
3: One other thing I saw in the papers, they they were talking about the different tax on petrol and diesel. And obviously that was introduced a few years ago because it was thought that diesel was more environmentally friendly. But that is now not the case. Um, And there was a strategy...
0: would incentivise petrol cars? Is it over diesel?
3: Well, at least remove the uh, remove the incentive to drive diesel cars. Mm. Uh, but of course, the hauliers would be uh, would. would W- would be up in arms about that. Yeah, but you'd expect to see
0: more. more of that because I think diesel is going to be phased out, isn't it? Sure. In Europe, so sure. yeah, whether they'll have support for that or not.
3: Yeah, and some other uh, perhaps a few, a few Bob as well from other environmental taxes like pushing up the carbon tax. The
0: carbon tax, which hasn't been and property tax, of course, is one that's up for review as well. I mean, they have to change that in 2019.
3: Okay, this is a big issue for people. This is the local it's property n- tax? Yeah. Um, Five, six, seven hundred a year for a lot yeah. Yeah. people already.
0: But of course people did that in 2013 when property values were very low. Yeah. They're now up 60%. So does that mean that your property tax is going to go up 60% if not more by the time the valuation? Sure. So as
3: things stand, the tax is frozen until 2019. It's frozen. And the government has said it would perhaps something to watch out in the budget for what's said about that. It'll be a big issue. For
0: exactly. P- will they keep with valuation or will they try and um, determine property tax on a different measure? Of course if they kept with it Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a big boost to the tax revenues.
3: OK, but very unpopular with the electorate. Please imagine so. I would think. <laughs> Fiona Redden, thank you very much. Thank you. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Business. My thanks to Nicola Byrne, Martina Lawless and Fiona Redden. The podcast was produced this week by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Don't forget, you can get the latest business news by signing up to our email, businesstoday at irishtimes.com you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Irish Times Biz. I'm Cliff Taylor. Until next time, thanks for listening.